Welcome to the Someone to Tell It To podcast. We started Someone to Tell It To in 2012, and all along, our philosophy has been to listen. Because our mission is to cultivate meaningful connections through compassionate listening and to train others to do the same, we thought it might be best to highlight both aspects, listening and training in a podcast. Both listening and training continue to catalyze this global listening movement where someone's voice is being heard. Someone is being reminded that they matter and someone doesn't need to feel alone in whatever they are facing. We will be posting two episodes each month to start. One will highlight training because we can all benefit from learning how to become better listeners. The second will highlight how listening has played a vital role in an individual's journey. We are so excited to share these rich conversations with you. We've spent a lot of time trying to figure out what to call the people we listen to. You know, are they clients, friends, storytellers? Nothing quite fit. So we wanted a name that represented the type of relationship we try to build and the way we value those we listen to. But the fact is we struggled. We struggled to find a single word that could accomplish what we realized, what we needed. So in the end, we were surprised to find the answer that was staring right at us. Someone. Someone with a story to share. Someone who needs a friend. Someone who is grieving, angry, lonely, afraid, or has questions about matters of faith. Someone who simply needs someone to listen. We always hope to establish a mutual relationship between friends who are sharing life's journey together. So that means that you are someone. You have a story worth sharing. You have inherent worth. You deserve to be seen, heard, and known. It also means that we are someone. We have stories of our own. We value knowing, showing up and listening and compassion. We want everyone to know the joy of engaging in meaningful relationships. You'll see us using this refreshed terminology from now on. And when you see it or hear it, we hope it makes you smile. You are someone. Tom, this interview with uh, Ken Blanchard that people are about to hear, you know, it just brings back so many like, wonderful memories that we've had with him, uh, you know, because we did some work with some people he knew and they suggested that we need to meet him. And they gave us his phone number. We called him and immediately he invited us to a conference he was leading, if you remember, oh, yeah. in West Palm Beach, Florida. It was in the middle of winter. We said, hey, we're going. It was wonderful. And we flew out in a blizzard and got to meet him and he was just the warmest friendliest guy yeah he invited us to his seminar an all-day seminar he paid our way which is incredibly generous of him and then you know fast forward we maintained a connection with ken where we spoke with him on the phone maybe once a month for a year and a half and then he eventually invited us out to his home which you'll hear a little bit about in this episode but they often call their home the blanchard inn because there's just so many guests guests that come in and out and uh, they're just such hospitable people and so ken truly is a servant leader 
He really is. And he values, I mean, the, 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 just the wonderful thing is he values the importance of listening. And you know, he lists this, you're going to hear this in the interview, that he lists that as the primary thing that to remember that, that, that managers, leaders need to listen well. And boy, that, uh, that made us feel good that he, that he said that and acknowledged that. And it, it's such an endorsement for what we do. It's someone to tell it to. Yeah, so we encourage you to listen as this is going to be an important episode for all of you leaders, especially those of you who have a heart to be servant leaders. Ken will, will teach you how. And we hope you'll enjoy it. Few people have influenced the day-to-day -day management of people and companies more than Ken Blanchard. Dr. Blanchard is respected for his lifetime of groundbreaking research and thought leadership that has influenced the day-to-day -day management and leadership of people and companies throughout the world. With a passion to turn every leader into a servant leader, Ken Blanchard shares his insightful and powerful message with audiences around the world through speeches, consulting services, and best-selling books. His iconic 1982 classic, the One Minute Manager, co-authored with Spencer Johnson, has sold more than 15 million copies and remains on bestseller list today. Since then, he has authored or co-authored 60 books whose combined sales total more than 21 million copies. His groundbreaking works have been translated into more than 42 languages. In 2005, Ken was inducted into Amazon's Hall of Fame is one of the top 25 best-selling authors of all time. Dr. Ken Blanchard is the co-founder and chief spiritual officer of the Ken Blanchard Companies, an international management training and consulting firm that he and his wife Margie began in 1979 in San Diego, California. So we're excited to get personal for a moment. Uh, Ken and Margie actually invited Michael and I out to their home, which uh, they, they like to call the Blanchard Inn which they, we appreciated. They opened their home to a steady stream of people and seemed to constantly have guests in and out graciously and generously hosting the many friends they so easily make. And we got to spend three nights and three days and we were treated as if we were family. We attended their church. We had Sunday brunch with he and his wife along the Pacific Ocean. And we were included at an intimate dinner party with one of the Blanchard Company's senior staff mem members, a noted author and the CEO of a major U.S. company and their spouses. We were also given a tour of, of the Blanchard Companies where we met other leading staff persons there. And, and most intimately, we sat uh, for several times, for hours, uh, by the Blanchard's pool on a sunny terrace, talking about each other's lives, our, our faith, our leadership, and the work that we all do. The conversations were deep and vulnerable and illuminating. We all spoke of losses and disappointments, fears and dreams. It was as if we had known one another for decades. We also drank Bloody Marys at 11 o'clock in the morning, <laughs> which was a lot of fun. Margie and Ken made it easy to feel right at home with them. And on our last night there, and we love this, since it was the start of the holiday season, we sat um, in their family room and we joined Ken and Margie for one of their, uh, their long-held holiday rituals, watching White Christmas, with Ken singing along, joining his voice with Bing Crosby's on each of the songs. <laughs> what a thrill <laughs> it was, and we'll never 
will never ever forget that. <laughs> no, we won't. <laughs> no, we won't. So today, it really is our privilege to welcome Ken Blanchard to the Someone to Tell It To podcast. Well, that 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 was some introduction. I'd like to meet this guy you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> Well, all of it was true. For anybody who might doubt it, it was very true. And um, we, we really enjoyed that tremendously. So thank you, Ken. So we want to start with this question today. Uh, you're known for recording an inspirational message every day to everyone in your company. So what was your message today? the message that you recorded, and, and what was the inspiration for it? Well, it's interesting. Uh, my title, is, as you mentioned, is I'm the chief spiritual officer, and so I do a morning message for everybody, and and uh, I do three things. One, I pray for people. Uh, people tell me if somebody's hurting or, or needs our prayers and love, and we have every faith and non-faith, and nobody objects to that, and we have a lot of data on the power of prayer. Then I'll praise people for things that they do, and then I'll leave an inspirational message about something. And today, my inspirational side is uh, we were in North Carolina uh, a little while ago at Pinehurst, which is a great golf uh, resort, and and we go down there periodically to play golf. And, and I have a long-term mentee, mentor, friend Van Orr, who runs a most amazing uh, restaurant, uh, uh, down there uh, in in Raleigh, and it's called Angus Barn, and uh, she has uh, this uh, whole wonderful philosophy of uh, uh, with her people, and uh, they've they've all been through the one minute manager training and all those things. And so my inspiration was that she has twelve steps that she teaches all the new employees, and one of them is to learn the lessons of the geese. Uh, and I laugh because Sheldon Bowles and I in Gun Ho talked about the gift of the goose, but what she really is saying there is that uh, what they find is, is that they, they have so much power when they fly in a V where they're all uh, building on each other's thrusts. And so she said, that's what we need to do. We need to build on the energy of each person. And, and what she also says that if a bird flies out of formation, they feel the pressure of, of all the, uh, to having to do it all themselves, and they get right back in line. And so she said, you know, uh, follow the leaders, don't get out of formation and all. And, and so she just does these wonderful things. And of course, uh, the neat thing about the, the if you ever watch a, a flock of geese, they're quite noisy, and if you if you listen, most of the noise is coming from the back of the V, because those birds are cheering on the birds up front, who are cutting the wind. And uh, she said we just continually need to encourage and support each other and all. So I just was sharing the whole philosophy at Angus Barn around learning the lessons of the geese. So it was it was kind of fun. That's a great message. Yeah, do, you, do you normally get much of a response from people in your company? Yes, I get emails back and voicemails and all if something happens to really touch them. Uh, and so uh, it's uh, it really is a, it's a it's a fun thing. And it makes me every day say, well, is there anything I've read or uh, thought about and all that's worth sharing with people? So it's a, it's really kind of a 
fun on April Fool's Day. I said, you know, I, I've been doing this for God almost, almost twenty years, and I, I just decided today this would be my last message. So, uh, I think some of you should all be picking up the <laughs> energy, and and then I went and gave a message, and and then I paused at the end. I said. April Fools. <laughs> That's great. But I got as long more, as you didn't have anybody cheering, I, I guess. I, <laughs> I got more messages that day. You dirty. You dirty. Yeah. <laughs> That's, That's great. Funny. Do you? Um, are there days where you literally just don't know what to say? You don't. You, you know. You really struggle with, uh, you know, a message of encouragement or anything like that. Yeah, I'm sure I do, but I have a a pile of books and things that. That I read off and on, and one my mother gave me when I was ten years old, called the Daily Word. It's put out in Lee Summit, Missouri, uh, and uh, it's a wonderful, inspirational message every day about faith and life and all. And so, uh, I get I get a message a lot of times from the Daily Word if I haven't thought of anything else. Ken, one of the things that we appreciate the most about you is you have this passion for turning every leader, you would say, into a servant leader. And for our listeners today who don't know much about servant leadership, could you describe where that passion comes from and what is ser servant leadership? Well, it's interesting that um, uh, we look at it four parts of servant leadership. Is Initially, it starts in your heart, and you guys get it in your heart because the question is, are you here to serve or be served? And and you two are two of the best servant leaders I know. And and uh, but it's a real important question. And you know, most people say, yeah, that's what I want to do. There's not too many people who say, yeah, I'd like to be known as a self-serving leader. And yet, the reality is sometimes our egos get in the way, and we have to deal with that. So uh, we started a 12-step Egos Anonymous program. You know, to, to help people deal with their ego because that's what keeps you uh, from being there to serve or, or be served. So we raise those issues in the heart and we actually run people through Egos Anonymous meetings, you know, where I have to stand up one at a time, say, Hi, I'm Ken. And everybody goes, Hi, Ken. And then I'm an egomaniac. And the last time my ego got in the way was, and I say, you know, in the last 48 hours or so. And I say to people, if you can't think of a time when your ego got in the way the last 48 hours, you probably lie about other things, too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, one of our favorite stories that you, you've told previously, and we remember it very well, is about a man that you had met in an airport once who said that, that there's a difference between the power of love and rather than the love of power. Could you, could you talk a little bit about that? Yes, yeah, this is a fellow from New Zealand. And uh, I sent him some books, and he wrote me, and he said, Ken, you know the business you're in is teaching people the power of love rather than the love of power. And uh, that really gets to that whole ego issue, you know. I mean, because ego is edging God out and some putting other things in its place, and one of them is power, you know, and, uh, you know, those kinds of, of things, you know, possessions and all of these kinds of things where you have kind of a more than philosophy. I'm brighter than, I'm smarter than. And, uh, and sometimes you have a less than philosophy. But uh, if we can get people to recognize that, and what he was really saying is that if we can really get into the power of love, 
uh, rather the love of power, what a difference it would make because all the great leaders I know are loving towards their people, you know, and a lot of people don't say, how do you use that term in business? Well, it's it's about reaching out, you know. Uh, what I found, found is that the greatest companies look at their people as their number one customer. And they realize if they uh, train their people, empower their people, you know, love on their people and all, their people will become fully engaged and reach out and take care of the second most important customer, the people that use your products and your services. And then they will become raving fans of your organization, become part of your sales force, and that takes care of the third most important customer, the owners or the people that are concerned about profit and all. Because, you know, in, in Wall Street, a lot of times they act like the reason to be in, in business is to make profit. No, profit is the applause you get for creating a motivating environment for your people so they'll take good care of your customers. Without getting overly political here, how do you see that being played out, especially here in the United States in politics currently? Well, I'm I'm trying to get get in in there to kind of help in some ways. I wrote a paper called "A Leadership Vision for America," uh, and uh, the first part of servant leadership, which we don't have in our country anymore, is is vision, direction, and values. I mean, we don't know what business we're in anymore. We don't know what we're trying to accomplish, and to me, all the values are le- relative. You know, for example, if I would think freedom of speech would be a value, but if you criticize or take issue with a, a uh, you know, some kind of a support group or whatever, they don't say let's talk. We disagree. They want to surround your business and put you out of business. So, for example, I I called a reporter who I trust, uh, and I I wrote two books with the top whale trainers at SeaWorld. And the environmentalists came after SeaWorld saying they, they were being cruel to the whales. And the, uh, it's a love affair. It's not cruel, it's cruelty. You might not want animals in captivity. That's another issue. But I called this reporter and said, how could I you know, take issue with the environmentalists without them surrounding our company? And she said, that, I, that's what they would probably do. So um, uh, with without... What does it say in the Bible about people without values? What happens to them? <laughs> they perish, you know? And uh, so I think that's an issue. The other issue we have is that uh, I read with a friend that wrote about it, uh, that there's two ways to go about solving problems in groups. One, they call the bounded set, which is before you can work on this problem, do you believe what I believe, you know? And uh, so uh, you keep everybody else out. And I was got a chance to talk to a bunch of the Republican uh, religious right types. And I said, you know, what we have is two bounded sets in Washington. They're Democrats and Republicans. And they don't talk to each other. And they throw, you know, grenades at each other. And what you need to do is study William Wilberforce and how he stopped slavery in England. He modeled what they call the center set philosophy of problem solving. Wilberforce said to people, let's argue about politics and religion on Saturday. But what I want to know is do you care about what I care about? I, 
He said, I care about stopping slavery. So the entry to work on the problem is, do you care about it? And that breaks all the barriers down and all. And so we really need to get this because we have, you know, all these bounded set groups fighting with each other and not talking to each other. And it's never going to work that way. And and it's interesting. I sent my article to Warren Bennis before he uh, passed away. He was one of my gurus. Warren was one of the great people in our field. And he said, Ken, you're so right about this. He said, you got to read a book. And he sent me a copy of a book called Miracle at Philadelphia. It was the founding of the U.S. Constitution and the Bill of Rights. And you had a bunch of egomaniacs at the meeting. You know, you had Benjamin Franklin and Washington and Jefferson and Hamilton and John Adams and John. But when anybody's ego got in the way, somebody would always say, what's our vision for the 13 colonies? I thought it was to unite them and all. And they came out with a pretty amazing document from people who could have, you know, sat there and, and got their egos in the way. So it's a, it's a whole interesting thing. So with servant leadership, the vision and direction is the responsibility of the leader. Uh, and doesn't mean you don't involve people, but uh, if people don't know what they're being asked to do and where we, we're headed and all, shame on you. That's the leadership part of servant leadership. Once that clear, now as you turn the pyramid philosophically upside down, and now you move to the servant part of servant leadership, which is now what you're trying to do is help people live according to the vision and the direction and accomplish the goals, and you work for them. And, uh, you know, John Maxwell, in a book I came out with recently called Servant Leadership in Action, he wrote the forward. He said, the only way I know to get great results and great relationships is servant leadership. We would agree. Have um, Setting aside the the issues with ego and and self-serving, you know, uh, qualities. Are, can you identify types of personalities or temperaments that seem to be the most effective as servant leaders? You can use the DISC model. You can use Myers-Briggs and all. There's all different kinds of personality types. I think if you get overly into your personality type, you can end up being self-serving. I think the the best uh, uh, way is that people who have in their heart to serve, whether they're a high D on the disc, you know, they like to control things, but uh, if they have a servant heart, they like to make sure we get the results and they know that none of us is as smart as all of us, you know, and, and then the I, I'm a high I, which is a people person, they kind of maybe more natural for that area, but you know, you got to make sure that it's got perspective in the thing and then you know uh, steadiness is you know just the, the people who you know they can get the job done and all they're ready to help and go and compliance is you know people who you know like rules and regulations and all but if they have a servant heart they use those in a positive way speaking of success um we're just interested in what are some of the keys that you would say are the keys to success in an organization? Well, I think you guys are talking about that. You know, if people ask me, what are the key behaviors for success as a leader and all? I say listening, number one, you know, because uh, if we would listen more than talk, 
we would really be able to. I said earlier, none of us is as smart as all of us. Uh, and uh, like uh, Van Orr, I mentioned the, from Angus Barnes, she has what they call the 20-foot foot rule. And the 20-foot rule is if you have a problem, you need to involve everybody within 20 feet of that to help you solve it, <laughs> you know, because they're all part of the group probably. And that uh, stop thinking you can do things in your own and listen. So I say listening is really powerful. And of course, it's so key to what you do. And then asking questions, you know, not to put people down, but to gain information. And all those are really the characteristics. You had those with a servant heart and you got a powerful leader. So this is another question off of that is, is it possible for manage, for good managers to be good listeners? Oh, absolutely. I think it's uh, it's mandatory. Uh, I don't know many good managers who are lousy listeners, <laughs> you know, because after a while people get discouraged, you know. You know, one of the interesting things that we've seen the, with the young people, uh, they don't like the whole concept of top-down management, you know, the my way or the highway. They, they like what we call side-by-side -side management, where they don't particularly want your job, but they want to know that they can make a difference and they can contribute. And when you have that, they, they really want you to listen to them uh, and they'll listen to you. It's really interesting is if you open yourself to learn from other people around you, then uh, they're going to open themselves to learn from you too. So how, how have you and Margie been able to establish that at the Ken Blanchard companies? Well, I think uh, what, what we started the company, you know, Margie was the one that pushed us because a lot of people like me who write books and speak, they'll have a speaker's bureau and a book publisher and all that. But Margie said, I think we ought to start a company to see if we practice what we preach <laughs> and, uh, you know, and have a laboratory and all. And so uh, we're constantly uh, taking what we teach and what we try to do and see if we're, we're doing it with our people. And so one of our big thrills recently, you know, is we were named the number one company to work for in San Diego in the middle-sized companies, and which I think is really neat because it's all, it's all you know, employee, uh, you know, responses and things like that. So uh, we want to make sure that we that we listen to people. And I remember in 2008 when we had uh, economic downturn, and we realized in February we'd probably be 20 to 25 percent below our sales goals for the year. And so a lot of people said, what do you want to do? We better downsize and all. And I said, well, that'll really look good. You know, the great Blanchard companies just dumped a whole bunch of people out the job. So we, we were going to celebrate our 30th anniversary two days down at the Hotel Del Carnado. So uh, we took the first day and brought an outside consultant and broke our 300 plus people into tables of six or eight. And half of the tables we asked to come up with suggestions on how we could cut costs and the other tables on how we could increase revenues. And we always, once a quarter, just open the books to our uh, people, show them where we are uh, in the financial area and all that kind of thing. 
because we want them to know uh, and them to help us. You know, when we're doing well. We want to cheer each other on. When we we have struggles, we want to help each other. And and it was amazing all the great suggestions that came out of that meeting in 2008 or nine. You know, when we when we did that. You know, including you know let's take salary cuts and you know let's stop matching 401k and and do all kinds of things, you know. And um, we said, if we if we pull out of this and uh, get back on our feet, we'll take everybody to Hawaii, which we did. Wow, wow. <laughs> wow, that's impressive. That's awesome. You've, given, you, you, you've set the bar pretty high for us as we and look at it. And for everybody else who's listening. see what we can yeah. do, yeah. yeah. Wow. Well, we can just affirm everything that you're saying about the Ken Blanchard companies. When we had the chance to spend three days out there and you took us to, to see the facility and, and just walking around the facility, just in your interaction with everyone was just really humbling and impressive for us. I mean, even from the thing that stood out to us is you opened the front door and it was around the holiday season in and two of the front uh front managers were just finished um setting up for christmas decorating decorating and uh you just went up to them and just said thank you for what you did and just this looks this looks great and you really prepared us well for the holidays and little things like that go a, a long way well i think i think people love to be encouraged and love to feel like uh, they can make a difference which they do yeah. yeah, we we would agree, and and that impressed us very much that you took the time uh, to do, to do that because um, people do like to be we all like to be noticed, and we do like to be encouraged, and that makes such a difference. Now we've 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 mentioned and talked about so many of the, the successes that you have had over the years, so we want to pivot just a little bit and ask you, uh, you know, can you tell us about any experience you've experiences you've had when you felt you failed? And, and how you learn from those, those failures. Well, it's interesting. You know, I, I think life is what happens to you when you're planning on doing something else, you know. And uh, I, I initially wanted to be a dean of students. Uh, and that was why I went to graduate school and, and uh, you know, eventually got a doctor's degree. And I said, man, I'm ready to be a dean now. And there was, they had a big national convention uh, you know, of people, and I went down, had job interviews. I wanted to work closely with students and had great interviews at Wesleyan and Dartmouth and Northern Illinois and some other places, and they all said they were going to invite me to campus, and then I never heard from any of them. So I called the guy at Dartmouth who had interviewed me and I had gone out and drank with, and I said, John, you, you were going to invite me to campus, but I never heard from you. And he said, Ken, I feel awful. Uh, I probably should have called you. He said, but you have two terrible recommendations in your placement file. And those days you would ask people to write a recommendation for you, but you couldn't read it, you know. It was all, you know, private. And I said, lousy recommendations. I said, from whom? He said, the dean of students and the associate dean. <laughs> well, I said, that's very, that's very helpful. I said, what did the dean say? The dean said, Ken's Blanchard's a wonderful guy but don't let him near the faculty. He's got no academic interest, you know? And I thought that was something I took a course from him. We called it sleeping with Stan, you know, it was terrible. And, what he said, <laughs> I was, and then I, I said, well, what did the associate dean say? He said, Ken Blanchard's a wonderful guy, not particularly intelligent and all, but, you know, so I'm dead in the water, you know? So uh, I, I said, God, 
you know, what am I going to do now? You know, that was my opportunity. So I went back to the bar where a lot of decision-making is goes on. And, <laughs> and, uh, there was a wonderful doctoral student who I knew there, Joe DiStefano, who was working his way through his doctoral program, playing the piano at this bar. And, and I told him my story. And he had gone to Harvard Business School. And he said, Ken, you, you won't believe it, but the new president of Ohio University was our associate dean at Harvard Business School, Vern Alden. And he said, I know Vern quite well. Why don't you write him and tell him I told you to write him and, and ask what he's got, you know? And so I did. And he turned over my credentials to the dean of the business school, uh, Harry Everts. And he called me on the phone. He said, Ken, what a crazy background you got, but we got crazy people out here. Come on, I'd like you to come out and maybe be an assistant to, the, to, to me as a dean. And uh, so I ended up doing that. And then he wanted me to teach a course. And I had never thought about teaching a course because my faculty had said that I, I couldn't write, which I later learned you could understand it. And I think that confused them. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but but, but, but that, that, that was a failure experience that, you know, I was able to turn, you know, uh, lemons into lemonade. But... Uh, it was a, quite a trauma when it happened because that's what I wanted to do. Thanks for sharing that. Um, a lot of people don't like to talk about their failures, and we appreciate that you're willing to do that. And uh, we know that you, you've used it, and um, you've created something so, so wonderful out of that, and, and we congratulate you. Leadership can be kind of a lonely business at times. Um, you know, we, we say that all the time that we living in this epidemic of loneliness and disconnection around the world how would you say that leaders could maybe be less lonely well i think you've done it by working together and i've done it with uh you know my wife margie who uh you know has a phd in communications and we set the thing up i i think uh what we need to do in leadership is is partner with people who ha you know have similar values but have different strengths and I'm sure the two of you help each other in different kinds of ways but trying to do what you've done all by yourself by your alone that could be a, that could be a lonely uh, venture you know and and now because of Margie and everything our two kids Scott and Debbie work with us and Debbie heads up our marketing Scott works with our product development and and customer service and Margie's brother Tom is our our CEO, chairman and CEO, and Scott's wife, Madeline, heads up our coaching business. And so we tell people when they come to our company, be careful about criticizing somebody because they're probably related. Because <laughs> we, we, broke, we broke one of the rules. You know, a lot of people say you shouldn't have people in the same family. In fact, we give a $400 bonus uh, if there's a job opening in our company and somebody recommends a friend or a relative, and that friend or relative gets the job, uh, they get a bonus for that because we want people to bring their friends and their relatives. You know, we had one couple who had two or three kids working with us besides the two of them, you know. And uh, so uh, people ask Margie at her, you know, young age of 78, you know, why do you keep going to the office? She said, because everybody I love is there and I don't have to ask them to come there. 
great. Are you going to be in trouble for mentioning her age now? That's probably true because she claims this is this is the 59th anniversary of my 21st birthday. Must have been ten when we got married. Well, if, if she's like our wives, she probably won't be listening anyway. So. <laughs> what? Um, well, first of all, you, you mentioned about the, the, the what we do. We do it together, and and we we believe that that is just about our biggest strength. Uh, the fact that we are not neither of us are in this alone. Yes. And to have to have people partners with whom we can work, who we trust who we can be very open with and vulnerable with is, is just essential. And the fact that you have that too, um, and, and more, you know, having not just your wife, but, 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 but your family, so many family members involved, um, that, um, that is a great strength. But you know, one of the, one of the things that we did is people in the audience, I think it'd be important for them to hear. It's Peter Drucker said years ago, nothing good happens by accident put some structure on it. And so we didn't want the company to ruin our family. So when the kids and Margie's brother joined us about 25 years ago, we hired an outside consultant to work with us. And for almost 25 years, our whole family has met with an outside consultant once a quarter uh, for 25 years and nobody's ever missed a meeting. So there's no issues that don't get dealt with uh, and that kind of thing. So we work together, we, we vacation together and all. And I think because we put structure, I think if somebody wants a good marriage, they ought to put some structure on it, you know, like, like date night, you know, a couple, you know, once every two weeks, maybe go out where you can't talk about the kids or the, your job. You have to talk about your relationship. Boy, you did that 26 times a year. Uh, you wouldn't, you wouldn't get home. <laughs> Change things. Yeah, you wouldn't go home yeah. someday, and there's a moving van, you know, moving the furniture. Yeah. <laughs> that's right. Exactly. That's actually a really helpful tip for anybody who is listening. Um, we would imagine that there probably are several leaders who are listening who feel lonely at times. We've had actually a lot of CEOs who've reached out to us for support. And we have a future vision for someone to tell to to actually set up an online resource just for CEOs because it can be a lonely position at the top at times, uh, being the key to decision makers and feeling sometimes the weight of the world on your shoulders. So um, we've, you know, we understand that it's really important to have those someone to tell tos that you can be truly open and honest and vulnerable yes. with. One of the key things, and when we started our company, we got involved with the Young Presidents Organization, YPO, and at that time you had to have 50 employees, 5 million in sales, but become president before you were 40 years old. And they had chapters all over the world, and uh, and they, they had what they for, called forum groups where 8 or 10 or 12 of them would meet once a month for a good part of a day and be there for each other. And I think that's so important because uh, sometimes it's hard to find people to, to be honest with you uh, in your own organization if you're the top dog. Yeah. Yeah, we would agree. We want to ask you some, actually some personal questions here. What, what, what are your passions? What do you like to do most? I love to write, you know, and, and share ideas. People 
asked me, you know, when am I going to retire? I said, you know, when he takes me up, you know, I'm I'm having too much fun, <laughs> too much fun. So I enjoy that, and I love to play golf, and uh, I love to hang around with family and friends and just laugh and have a good time. We we're having an 80th birthday party uh, um, in about a week or so uh, for me, and you know we got about 110. 20 people coming, you know, uh, intimate friends. Uh, <laughs> uh, That's and, great. And a great band and just, you know, we just like to have fun. And so I love to hang out with family and friends and and all that kind of thing. And that's what's lucky about the company because it's full of friends and family. Well, our experience uh, with you in San Diego a year and a half ago, uh, prove that out, prove that. Uh, how much you like to do that, how much you like to laugh, how, what your sense of humor is, uh, and, and how much you do like to have fun, and how disarming you can be, uh, and, and, and help people feel comfortable and at ease. That um, That is a tremendous gift, yeah. and uh, uh, we, we can understand why 150 or, or even more of your friends will want to celebrate your birthday with you, because, <laughs> because uh, you're a lot of fun to hang out with. Um, a serious question. What would you like your legacy to be? Oh, you know, my uh, mission statement is to be a loving teacher and example of simple truths that helps myself and others to awaken to the presence of God in our lives so we realize that we're here to serve and be served. And, and that kind of does it. I like to be remembered as somebody taught simple truths and somebody who really pushed people spiritually not religion-wise, but to get out of their own way. And and once that is accomplished, then you can realize that you're here to serve, not to be served. And so I I, I think that, that kind of summarizes, you know, I'd like to have my mission statement come alive. I've actually made a video for my funeral, uh, and I'm going to have to update it because I did it about 10 years ago. <laughs> I, I start off and say, if you're you're watching uh, this, uh, I guess I'm not here, but I might be watching. But let me just tell you about, you know, what what I loved about life and who made a difference in my life. And, and you know, so I, I even wrote my own obituary, you know. Yeah. And uh, so uh, it's, uh, it's, it's fun. And there's just things in the obituary that I haven't accomplished quite yet. It said, I'm a 185-pound mean and lean golfing machine. And I'm, <laughs> I'm still working on that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, we know that your legacy is broad and it's deep and it's wide. And uh, we are two of your protégés. So we, we, uh, we are testimonies to, to the work that you've done and the mission that you've had. In fact, one of our donors right now just reached out to us when he knew that we were going to be having you on our show. And he and his church right now are going through one of your books, uh, the parable about the church, the most loving place in town. Yes, and uh, their, yes. their whole church is going through the book and, and have talked extensively with us about how meaningful it's been. So there's another affirmation. Yeah. Yes. And that, that whole lead like Jesus ministry, which that is an outgrowth of has been really important for me where, uh, you know, I just think that what we ought to do in religion is stop judging people and evaluating people. That's where 
I think Christians get in trouble, but I think, number one, Jesus didn't come to start a religion. I think he came here to build a relationship. And mm -hmm. two, he said, you'll be known as my disciples by how you love each other. And this is one that a lot of people forget. He said, judge not or you shall be judged. <laughs> so yeah. um, I think uh, we have found in our lead like Jesus, everybody around the world absolutely loves Jesus. They don't necessarily like Christians. Mm. Yeah. Well, we, we're just about out of time here. And we actually had our final question is, is less for you. And it's actually more for us. That's someone to tell to if you, if you had one leadership principle you would like us as someone to tell it to, to know and embrace, what would it be? I think uh, the concept of listening. <laughs> no, I mean, you think I'm joking, but uh, I just do think that the more I think about your work and the more I look at who are great leaders, they're, they're people who, uh, you know, sure have their opinions, but they really want to hear what other people uh, have to say and they're and they're great listeners uh, and uh, and great listeners are great learners and I I remember with Norman Vincent Peale I wrote a book with him when he was 86 years old the old positive thinking minister and I I was in my early 40s and uh, he said Ken when you stop learning lie down and let them put the dirt on you because you're already dead. Yeah. And I, thi yeah. I think when you stop listening, you ought to lie down too mm. because you're not going to do a lot of learning if the only one you're listening to is yourself. Absolutely. You know? yeah. <laughs> I tell people, I already know what I know. What I want to find out is what do you know? <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's been our philosophy since day one is whoever we're meeting with, it doesn't matter what their status is in life, that we have something to learn from them. And so we hope that that can be a takeaway for all of our listeners today. We absolutely do believe we can learn from everyone and mm -hmm. uh, always look forward to that. And we do, and we consider it uh, that, that opportunity to be a, a sacred gift. And yeah, that's for sure. We, we truly do. Well, we've learned a lot from you today. So thank you. And we always do. Well, it's always good to be with you. And I appreciate all the work that you all are doing and, and encourage people to, to find out more about what you're doing because it's important. Well, thank you, Ken. And uh, we, we are so grateful that you took this time to join us today to, to impart some of the wisdom that you've gained over the years and to, and to share, to share with our audience what it means to listen and what it means to be a servant leader. We think those are, are valuable, valuable uh, traits. And um, we thank you. Well, good to be with you guys. Thank you to all of our listeners today. And on that note, we hope that you today... As, as a listener, know that you are loved and valued. Thank you so much. If you'd like to learn more about Someone to Tell To, please head to our website, someone to tell it to.org. Thanks, guys. <laughs>